0: so grateful to be reminded of that tonight, that no matter where we go, we're always in the presence of Jehovah, in the presence of God himself, of our King, and so thank you, Ron, for reminding us of that again tonight. Tonight is the last evening service that I'll be sharing together with all of you. I know tomorrow morning I will preach here as well, but there are other options around the camp that are all fantastic, and so I want to just say uh, to, to everyone, thank you so much for letting me be here as part of your Psyker family. Uh, for the third time uh, here in the main tab, I discovered today, I, I actually was the youth evangelist four times up there in that hot tin cup. And, and uh, so uh, it, it's, it's just been a thrill for me to be part of this camp. And, and so I wanna thank uh, everyone so much for the tremendous hospitality, it, it really is, Fantastic, I wasn't kidding when I said that earlier, Matt. And I wanna thank my coworkers uh, in front of all of you. Uh, Bert and John, thank you so much uh, for your ministry. My calluses have been softened, my cup has been made full. I've really examined hypocrisy. I'm really working hard on, on contending for the faith because of them. And I, I just have to be honest with you, between those two guys, and mattbrooks.com, I got sermons for the next couple of years. So thank, thank you for that. And, and, and to Dale and, and, and Judy and, and Ron, your music has been such a blessing to us. You've really helped us worship this week. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, and, and you know who never gets thanked and always should? It's the AV team. Yeah. You know, Drew and his team back there are just, you know, the only time we notice them is, is when something messes up, and, and, and yet 99% of the time it's perfect. And, and so, guys, thank you, you so much. I really appreciate it, and thank you for not muting me when you got tired of me. Um, I, I, but I, I really want to say to the board of Psyker, in 152 years of proclaiming holiness unto the Lord, that I, I pray for this camp to not just survive, but thrive and continue to have a growing influence on communities literally all over the country because all of you go out and spread this great message of grace and holiness to your communities, your churches, and it's because Syker is so strong. People are so committed to this ministry. The Holy Spirit is alive and well through the people of Syker and and i'm excited about the ministry that you all are going to have when you leave this camp on sunday monday or for those of you who just can't leave uh we'll see you next summer um so um matt especially i'm so grateful for the trust and the honor of of being able to be part of this team i i honestly i can't help it you know we all have our heroes and i I think of preachers who have stood in this place before me that I so respected and so looked up to and so thanked God for and and so it truly is amazing that uh, I get this opportunity to share this space with them and so with that and with all of you uh, listening tonight you may see you may feel like the message is a little bit out of order, like I should have preached this first or second day, you know but you have to. You have to understand. Camp meeting is not linear. I, I, I mean, the Bible study typically is a series, and we take that from start to finish. But, but in the preaching that we have here, I mean, I didn't come here with some kind of series, you know, to deliver to you. I trusted God for each sermon, each service, because He knew who were going to be here and who needed it. And I think that's true of all of us preacher types, right? We we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us what we need for each experience. And so, since God knows who is here tonight and what you need from his word and his spirit, well, here here we go. Let's talk about grace. And if you brought your Bible, or you have the Bible on your device, uh, you might wanna tag along or hop on the train and read together with me about um, this passage. so as you're getting to the book, I'm just going to kind of give you this mini background on it. I mean, Paul's writing to his very, very good friends in Ephesus. And, and he was very close to them, and you can read all about his experience with them, particularly in Acts chapter 19, if you want a little background. Um, if you do that now, though, I'll be offended. It, Ephesus was a major city, a major economic hub. A lot of activity going there, a lot of business would be influenced by other business and even the religious community. You know, you had these metal workers and, and these stone workers who made, honestly, all their idols. And, and that was big business for them. And so as a result, all of the peripheral religions that existed in Ephesus were very important to the economy of Ephesus. And as a result, people come to believe in Jesus and it impacts many of their social and economic industries. And Paul, is when he was there preaching, uh, he got into a lot of trouble. He got sideways with a lot of these leaders in the community to the point where he had to get out of there uh, because his life was in danger. So years later, he writes this letter to the Christ followers there in Ephesus. and and chances are pretty good that he wrote it from a a Roman prison cell, or at the very least, house arrest, we're not sure. But ultimately, his words were not only for those Ephesians of that generation, but now here we are thousands of years later and we still get to read them. And God allows us to be impacted by these words. Now, I just wanna say before we get to the actual reading that, that more and more we're beginning to understand where people get their truth because we get ourselves in debates with people who have no concept of the Bible being the foundation of truth, and so it's kinda silly when you think about it. You know, when I say to someone who is in a debate with me, well, first of all, before we get started, just tell me where you get your truth, and, and they start talking about, perhaps, all of the ways that they establish what is true, or good, or best, or right, or true, or fake, and, and, and oftentimes, it doesn't include the Bible, Or, if it does include the Bible, I say, well, then perhaps you should help me understand where you're coming from through this word. And that's what we do when we're here at Syker. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we tend to have a pretty high value of scripture here at Syker because we believe this is the voice of God, the word of God to our generation and our hearts. He's not surprised by all of the ways things have changed and, and, and the ways people's minds have moved in terms of belief and activity. And so this matters for you. So Paul opens the letter with this long running sentence in the original language which we've divided up in our English translations. He, they just weren't very good at punctuation in the original language. And so I want you to turn to the beginning just for some background here. Not the passage we're gonna unpack fully, but you gotta have this if you're gonna get what I'm talking about tonight. So worst sermon ever because the introduction is really long. So I've just been up front with you. Worst sermon ever. Forgive me and then we'll be fine. Ephesians chapter one, beginning with verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, I'm telling you, if you do not do breathing exercises, you cannot read that verse. He opens by saying it's been God's plan all along that human beings connect with him through Jesus Christ. That is his desire and I say it all the time and, and, and I know it sounds like thank you Pastor Obvious but listen, God designed us And then in our design, he created us. Not just so he can say, woohoo, look what I did. But with purpose, intent. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Not just in a position of holiness and blamelessness, but to be actually holy and blameless. Meaning we're set apart by a specific design and a specific purpose. That purpose, here it is men and women, this is why you are $1.97 worth of matter and you live and breathe. The glory of God. This is why you live. This is why you exist. For the glory of God. The problem is the world isn't holy. The world isn't blameless. It's separated from the design and purpose of God, and so redemption, he tells us, is required. Now, the English word redemption uh, in the original language, we translate it redemption, comes from this really cool Greek word, apollo, true, which, you know, I know you're all really happy that I said that word. It, it means to release someone from a debt by paying a ransom. That's redemption. That ransom paid for this debt that we all have, his blood. Jesus' crucifixion on the cross—an undeserved gift. Now, I know some of you have been, you know, walking with Jesus since you were an embryo. I I, I feel like you know I've I've heard this a bazillion times. Uh, But stay with me, and at the very least, pray for me as I walk through this in this moment, because tonight I want to take you to a part of the letter where he elaborates on this beautiful grace that God has lavished on us. And so now I want you to jump, fast forward to Ephesians 2. Here we go, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. I mean, doesn't that just make you warm and fuzzy to know that you were an object of wrath? I mean, seriously, God just wraps his arms around you and says, you know, you gotta understand that you've got these cravings of the sinful nature and I love you. See, today we're constantly hearing about conspiracy theories. And as a result, we can be cynical toward a faith that's always talking about threats to our lives. And so if I bring up some kind of threat to your life, I sort of feel like I see, but maybe I don't, but at least I feel that there's this collective eye roll going on. Like, oh brother, they're shelling again, up there pontificating about threats to my soul. Relax, Steve. Well, I'm just telling you what the word says. And you're like, you know, can you just one time encourage us? Well, I've been trying to do that all week, but before I talk about this threat, I will encourage you. And here it is, here's what he just told us. Grace is the solution to our greatest threat. So so now understand, let's start with defining grace. I mean, what is it? You know, the original language, caris, unearned loving kindness. Do you hear that? Unearned, nothing you've done for it. Unearned loving kindness, or God's favor. Well, why would we need unearned loving kindness? Well, he just told us. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's a dilemma for every every human being. What is your greatest threat in your life? Your impending death. It's coming. Well, as a matter of fact, the end of your earthly life comes complete with your heart stopping, your lungs stopping, your brain stopping, full stop. It's over. And all of that is what you have to look forward to. Do you want me to pray the benediction right now? But you see, wait, it's worse than that. Woohoo! now he's really encouraging me. Paul says, you are already dead in your trespasses and sins. Even as you walk around, you right now, in this moment, before you know Christ, are absolutely dead in trespasses and sin. And the only reason there's such a thing as God's grace is undeserved favor. Redemption exists because the existence of a present tense existential threat to your life exists, your death. Now, let's just leave pleasantries at the doors, men and women. You may think you're fine with God, because you are a nice person, a moral person, or Matt Brooks fun person. But it's so much more than that. Scripture says you're actually a nice, moral, fun, dead person. That's who we are. And I'm just here to boost your self esteem. See, I am encouraging you because I'm telling you the truth. God says you're facing your greatest threat every day when you continue to exist apart from his grace. Because when you exist apart from his grace, you're already dead. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's the foundational issue of the Christian faith. That every person is born with a God design and a God purpose that's been corrupted by sin. Now, I don't know if you've kept up in your life with storms that take place, tragedies that take place in the world. I'm from Xenia, Ohio, 1974, April 3rd, 4.40 p.m. I know all about tragedy. Uh, When tornado blew our city down and blew my house down on top of me, and I get it, natural disasters. And there's all kinds of them out there. But I think particularly as I'm trying to unpack this reality of God's grace being the solution to this existential threat in my life, I think of tsunamis. And, 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 and the Kubas talk, talked a little bit about tsunamis in their, in their presentation to us on, on mission day. But think of yourself. You're out on some beautiful beach. We all like life on the beach. It's quiet can read, nice sunshine. I mean, nothing says relaxed like a sunburn and sand in places that I don't wanna talk about tonight. But you're there enjoying your beautiful vacation and someone tells you, hey, there's a tsunami coming. And you can decide, you know what? I, I'm just gonna enjoy my vacation. This is too nice. I'm not leaving here and then all of a sudden, some alarm goes off and there's there's sounds everywhere and they're telling everyone you've gotta get off the beach because this tsunami is death coming toward you. Now, you have an opportunity in that moment for a response. You can listen and move or you can just ignore it and say I do not want this tsunami to ruin my vacation. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here on the beach and enjoying my day. Men and women, the alarm is not an exaggeration or an interruption. The alarm is grace, saving you, waking you up to the tsunami that is about to destroy your wonderful beach life. Here's the thing, before the tsunami even hits, you're dead. You're definitely dead, guaranteed dead, if you don't respond to the alarm that's sounding right now. This alarm called grace. You can be mad at the messenger, the alarm giver, or you can respond to the real threat. Now this is what we believe, and this is why we have Camp Syker. We believe that the Holy Spirit is perpetually speaking out there, giving you the alarm, telling you that the tsunami of death is coming, and you have this wonderful opportunity to respond and receive God's grace. See, God is the alarm giver. He tells you the truth about this problem in your life, sin. And and I get it, you know, A lot of people hear us preacher types say the word sin and they just think it's so bad and can't you just encourage us and come on, don't tell me about some impending death. I've got children in the room, you're scaring them, all of that. But it's the threat that uh, uh, that it poses to your eternal existence. In other words, it's a threat you should take seriously and yet a threat that God has dealt with. And that's why Paul says this, verses four and five of chapter two of Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. (laughs) It is by grace you have been saved. You see, grace is a gift from the heart of God. This grace, this charis is motivated by something in God. Paul actually lays out a couple of those motivations. First, he says his great love for us, and then he says his mercy. Now, oftentimes, we try to make sure we give somebody a simple understanding of this word, grace, and and, 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 and inevitably, we compare it to a couple other words. So we talk about justice, you know, getting what you deserve. And then we talk about mercy, not getting what you deserve. But then we talk about grace, getting what you don't deserve. And this is the grace Paul talks about. See, God sees a human being he loves, he sees you, and he takes their sin and death upon himself when he dies on the cross and delivers mercy, forgiveness, and grace, eternal life to those who will receive it, who will heed the alarm and respond to this gift. It's the great exchange, his life for yours. Your death upon him is exchanged for eternal life when he rises from the dead and makes the cross have meaning for all of us. Now, he's talking to these Ephesian Christ followers. And he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. We were dead in transgressions, he says. The threat was real. God saw it and he came running to the rescue and he offers you the opportunity to experience his redemption. And you did and now you're all alive. And this is where we all get kind of excited in camp, meaning at least they did back in the day You know, you say something like that, we're all risen from the dead, people wave hankies, they go a little nuts, they're pretty excited about it, and I appreciate the stoicism, but I know there's a little party going on in your heart right now. It is by grace you have been saved. See, this is where it all begins for a person who is presented with the truth about the threat to their eternity, their deadness. So Paul continues, and I, I want you to continue with me. You see, here's what he's trying to make sure he gets across to his friends in Ephesus, and now God's allowed his letter to, to transcend time and make it to us. What's so amazing about grace is that the grace giver is the one who was ultimately offended by our sin. It was a sin against the grace giver that required us to need grace. And that's just it, though. It wouldn't be grace if the one giving it hadn't been offended. Now remember, the definition, undeserved loving kindness from God. So with love and mercy, he not only cares and forgives, but he also pours out upon us an incredible gift that is the polar opposite of what we deserve, eternal life. And so he calls them incomparable riches. And the incomparable riches are just that, the most valuable gift imaginable in exchange for the death we should receive. I think of it sometimes in terms of parenting styles. Now, some parents often bring the justice, and other parents extend grace. And then there's the third parent, who understands that at times it's justice and at times it's grace. Uh, My mother felt like justice was probably the best way to go. But but we do something wrong and parents want to make sure we understand the magnitude of our violation. They don't want to punish you, but they need to. And in the case of our redemption, God had to punish, to fulfill his judgment upon sin. But in his grace, he chose to take our punishment upon himself. His kindness and his love drove him to not only impose punishment, but exchange it for eternal life. I mean, are you wrapping your head around this? This is not a statement tonight on Parenting and punishment, that's another sermon that someone else is gonna have to preach here some other time. Rather, it's a statement on the motivation of grace. This beautiful gift of exchanging our death for his and our death for life is not something, men and women, you can negotiate. You know, we don't tell the lifeguard he's not saving us correctly. We don't like the way we're being rescued. We don't do that. We say, oh, I'm so glad you're here, you hunk of six pack. Swim me in. And whatever it is you need to do, expert, you do it. And we're grateful for that. And that's exactly what God has done. I mean, why are we sitting here arguing with him about the way he's saving us? The fact is he knows how to save us way better than we know how to save ourselves, and so we embrace this salvation that he offers by faith. We not only believe in it, but we receive that gift and put our trust in him for the rest of our lives as well. You don't get your sentence reduced for good behavior because you are incapable of good behavior sufficient for your eternal salvation. And that's where a lot of people lie. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of people who sit on camp meeting benches still believe that in their heart and in their mind. That if I've just done enough good stuff, all of this theology kind of fits in, instead of is opposite of what I've done. So the one offended takes your sentence for you, and it's the best gift imaginable because he loves you, he loves you. And yet he never compromises his holiness in the process. And that's why we sing about grace being so amazing. And the best part, all you have to do is believe it and receive it, he does all the heavy lifting and you get all the benefits by simply trusting in him. The question is, am I truly, in real time, present tense, right now, trusting in his grace? Well, that's why Paul says one more thing. Here it is, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, he's telling us that grace continuously flows to us and through us. And it's important to get that because it's not an accident that Paul spends a lot of time first emphasizing our salvation and our resurrection from the dead, and it's all provided by God's grace and not our own moral efforts. But after sharing all that God has done to redeem and restore us to his design, then he lays out how we can now fulfill God's designed purpose for our existence moving forward. What am I supposed to do? What am I doing here? I mean here, macro here. Not just here, psycher here, but what am I doing here? This is what we were designed to accomplish. Good works that God prepared for us to do. What God wants us to do for his glory, that's what makes him good, his glory. You see, not good works works we manufacture to try to impress God or earn our new life because he's clear that that just can't happen. Rather, good works that innately come out of a risen life a resurrected life, a life that has received the grace of God. Remember, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, our best efforts are not good apart from the grace of God given to us because we've embraced the grace of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, that grace is a continuous action. Men and women, I love you and I'm so grateful for whatever place and time you first prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior. But I'm just here to tell you right now, he makes it clear in the tense he uses that you are not saved tonight because of a prayer you prayed when you were 13 years old back in the day. You're saved tonight because right now you are putting your faith in the name of Jesus and in the grace of God. Right now, present tense reality. That was the beginning of that, and you've grown and done wonderful things and perhaps failed along the way, but ultimately tonight you can know that your death has been put to death and that you've been resurrected from the dead. If tonight, in this moment, in present tense reality, your faith and trust is in the name of Jesus, uh, woohoo! amen. You see, it, it wasn't only given once for all, as Paul talks about here, and in Romans 5, if you want to unpack that tonight, write that down though, if you do it now, like I say, you're just gonna mess me up. It is, listen, lavished upon us, poured out upon us. He just keeps laying it on us perpetually And we continue to perpetually keep receiving this grace as we put our continuous action, present tense, faith in him. And we can keep receiving it if we choose him by faith. As a result, that grace is not only imparted to us, but we now become a conduit of that grace in the lives of other people. The same grace we've received from God through Jesus Christ, men and women, if it's real, if it's true, if he's really alive in you, it can't help but come through you into the lives of other people. And you do for other people what Jesus has done for you. Undeserved loving kindness. Favor is now our default gift and our default response to people even when they hurt us or disappoint us or offend us, that is the magnitude of the power of true and real grace in our spirits. It doesn't mean we don't get hurt. It doesn't mean we don't respond to hurt or disappointment with some level of emotion, but it does mean that we have the capacity to respond to that hurt against us with the same unmerited favor that God has given to us. And that's not natural from a spirit of a person enslaved by the corruption of sin. He tells us that. That's the supernatural work he does in us who've received this gift and have embraced his loving kindness. You know, when I was was little, for some reason, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19 is taught to children. And I think it's because apparently Zacchaeus was short in stature. And so maybe kids can relate to this, you know, short guy in a tree. And I get that. And so let's learn that story. And, and, and we can oftentimes overlook it as adults. And yet it's a very important story. You know, now here's Zacchaeus. He's this corrupt tax collector. I mean, he's not only collecting taxes for the government, but he's overcharging, and he's keeping a lot for himself. I mean, he's just a bad guy. And as a result, he was the most undeserving of grace in their community because he was the poster child of being a traitor to the occupying forces of their country. And Jesus not only connects and dines with him, but his message must have been received by Zacchaeus, a guy who absolutely deserved no grace in his life. Jesus extends this hope and this message of forgiveness and restoration to him, and it must have hit home because not only did it change his mind and his heart, but he actually repented to the extent that he gave one half of everything he had to the poor. Why is that a kid's story? I mean, why isn't that all of our story? That we are so incredibly grateful for the grace that God extends to us that we have to extend grace to other people in our lives who are hurting, who are desperate, who are broken, and maybe even people who've offended us. You see, that's the important part of grace. Not just experiencing it, this is the biggest fault of so many people who walk with God. Not that they haven't experienced it, but that they don't appreciate it. And I've come to understand that the most unhappy people in life are people who are not grateful. They are people who just have no appreciation for what it is that's been given to them in life. Now look, I get it. I certainly haven't gone through some of the turmoil and hurt and pain of other people. Absolutely true. And many of you here tonight have probably exceeded me in the experience of suffering. And yet at the same time, of all the things you feel like you don't have in your life, there is absolutely no greater gift that's being offered to you than this beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. And when you appreciate it, when you're grateful for it, that's when you can't help but wanna give it away to everybody who needs it, which by the way, is everybody. They need it. And when you're receiving grace, present tense, continuous action, you're continually giving it away to those especially who don't deserve it. The Zacchaeuses in your life who've offended you greatly. Men and women, grace deals with your greatest threat, death, out of the heart of love from God that you now continually receive and continually give to others. The end of your death and the restoration of your life as God designed and created you to be. So here's that question again. What are we doing here? I mean, what is this all about? Why would you live in tool sheds for 10 days? Thank you, Rhonda, for that. First and foremost, it's to experience the grace of God found in his truth through his Holy Spirit. And so this banner up here isn't like just this year's theme. Oh, nice sign. Good job, Psyker. It's pretty. No, it's not just a banner like it's this year's theme. That is the theme. Holiness unto the Lord. He has designed us and created us to be completely separated from the world's corruption to enjoy this grace and be filled with his spirit so we can extend this beautiful grace to others. And you might be saying to yourself, you just said the whole sermon in one sentence. We could have been out of here 30 minutes ago. But that's because he doesn't just want you to hear it. He wants you to experience it. He doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to embrace his Holy Spirit in your own life, enjoy his forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and he wants to empower you in such a way to live your life for the glory of God and the good of others, by giving to them what he's given to you. (laughs) I mean, Paul makes it so clear. That first and foremost, experiencing his grace and the grace of God is found in his truth and through his Holy Spirit. And now that you've heard this, what will you do with it? If you've never received grace before, I want you to know he knew you were going to be here tonight. And he knew he was going to put this passage and this message on my heart to deliver to you. He wants you to know because he loves you that a tsunami is coming. Yet he has provided you the way of escape and that escape is through his wonderful grace if you'll simply believe it and receive it. And if you're already a believer, he knew you were gonna be here tonight and he knew you needed this message whether you've been doubting your salvation, whether you needed a recap and a renewal, or whether you've been holding on to some kind of bitterness and have been ungrateful, and it's reminded you tonight of this incredible gift he's given to you, and you need to come to him to have his love lavished upon you. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. It's a place to not just hear about it, but to experience it. The grace of Jesus, (laughs) that's why you're here. Let's bow our heads together. And maybe right now in this moment, it's not time for me to pray, it's time for you to pray. If for nothing else than to thank him for his amazing grace. But maybe tonight you're someone who needs to receive that beautiful forgiveness and grace in your life. (laughs) You can just pray right now where you're seated in this moment. He knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart. And and if you don't know how to pray, you could just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, you know everything about me. You know everything I am. And you know everything I've done. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it tonight. Thank you for dying for me. Now help me live for you. However it is you need to respond tonight, you do that right now, right where you're seated. Cry out to him for his amazing grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The ultimate gift has been given, and tonight most, many if not most, of the people who are in this space have received it. And all of us celebrate our salvation in you. Thank you so much. And thank you for speaking into the hearts and minds of those who are still wondering, still searching, still want to know the design and purpose for their lives. We pray you'll keep speaking grace into their heart and mind. Help them to believe and receive you tonight. As we celebrate with this song and as we worship you, speak to our hearts and give us the courage to trust that this word is true and your love is real. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray amen come on let's stand together let's sing with ron and our musicians and even then if god's speaking to your heart come tonight if it's just to thank him for his grace if you've been struggling in your walk with him discouraged or tonight if you want to receive this grace for the first time i encourage you to come kneel here and pray to him and you will find he's ready to listen and to help let's worship
1: Amen. His name
0: I was that high school student at camp that pretty much went to the altar every single time because I was just hungry and thirsty and seeking God. And whatever the message was, typically it found its way to land in the runway of my heart. And so there I was. And you know, I, just want to, I don't know what you've been like in terms of the altar or in response to messages that you've heard, but listen, I don't regret one trip I ever took to the altar, not one. And I'm thankful that he gives us that privilege to come before him and lay ourselves down and say, here I am. So if that's your need tonight, say, Lord, this message was for me. I need your grace. Then come, we're gonna sing it one more time. Just invite you to take advantage of this moment and pray to him. No matter how many times you've been here to pray this week, come to him if grace is your need.
1: Emmanuel.
0: during even during this closing prayer if he's calling you to come you come even as we dismiss the service if he's calling you to come you come and and we'll thank God for speaking into your life and into your heart about your need of him Jesus uh, there's no doubt in my mind because I've seen it in my own life that your word is powerful and your word is kind and your word points us to your amazing love, your mercy, and your grace. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would listen to the prayers of your people as they cry out to you, and you would testify to our spirits with your spirit that we are indeed your children. We trust you to do it to assure us that your grace is real and alive in us, and we'll thank you for this beautiful gift. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And if you're going to go, go quietly, if you will, or join these praying here, seeking his grace.